Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another night at the social in Westchester, Pennsylvania. My name is Rick Wood, and this is our Spiritual Dust Podcast, and I am um, here today with John Cairo. John is a good friend of mine, and as well, he's going to tell us all about his stuff in law enforcement, but before we get into all of that, thank you guys for listening. This episode, believe it or not, has been brought to you by Fluid. It's a Pilates studio here in Westchester, run by Courtney Davis, a wonderful, wonderful studio. Yours truly is getting his ass busted there pretty much every week. So please check out our new sponsor. And uh, a lot of cool stuff going on. Some of you know that we have the uh, clearing spray, the bath salts are coming in, so you can soak yourselves in that. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. I have new guests that are going to be coming on weekly. And I'm really excited about John because John and I have become good buddies here in the uh, last year, basically. And uh, so, John, come on, tell us about your history, man. What you about? So my name is John Cairo, and I uh, basically was the police chief from Bethel Township up until 2012, started there as a part-time police officer and worked my way up to the police chief and then left in 2012 to retire and started a uh, small private investigative company that does construction defect and, and fraud cases. Wow. How long have you been doing that? I've been on my own with the private investigative stuff since uh, 2012. Wow. So you've been doing this for a while. And people sent us... Um, a lot of questions for you because, you know, I have friends that are like, you know, one of the questions is going to be, what is the best part about being a police chief? Uh, I really enjoyed working with the community. I thought it was quite an honor to serve the public in that capacity. Uh, we got to know a lot of really good people. There was a lot of really good things that got on that went on. And we were able to make a difference in some people's lives that, uh, you know, you wouldn't normally see. It really was, you know, I consider it to be an honor to do all that. Um, now, I have you here on the back, but Bethel is not a large, large community. It's 5.3 square miles. And when I started there in 1992, there was 1,900 people that lived in town. And when I left, there was about 9,600. We had a, a housing boom in the uh, early the late 90s or late 90s early 2000s and uh, the town really exploded um what do you think is i guess the best way to say this is that you know on our show we talk about intuition psychic ability that kind of stuff how does uh and now i know you and i know you're always using your intuition but how did you use it in law enforcement I think intuition is a big part of the job. I mean, I think most officers have it um, called a sixth sense, called a gut feeling, called whatever you want to call it. it it's it's intuition. Um, you go to a call, you can almost feel people's energy. You can feel when they're going to do some bad things. You can tell when you drive up to the building. I mean, you, you get there and the lights are off and there should be a certain circumstance going on. The hair on the back of your neck will stand up. Um, I've always tried to listen to my gut in those scenarios, and it's helped me a lot. You know, kept me out of getting hurt or, you know, different things along those lines. 
Can you think of a circumstance in particular? Or? I responded to a call for a vandalism discovered of a vehicle. I pulled into the driveway, and typically this is nighttime. It was like 10 o'clock at night, and people are usually outside. They got the lights on. They're out there waiting for you. I pulled into this particular driveway, and everything was dark, which immediately made my hair on the back of my neck stand up that something wasn't right. Um, as I walked up to the doorway, the doorway was kind of recessed between some bushes to the side of the building. Get off the door, knock on the door, and this gigantic human being <laughs> jumped out of the bushes at me. It kind of cornered me between now his screaming wife because she caught him running around on her and she wrote liar all over his vehicle with a screwdriver and him screaming about her vandalizing his truck. You know, and then you have to try to back these two people away, but, you know, knew something was wrong, anticipated it happening. Um, he did catch me by surprise by popping out of the bushes on me like that. It really wasn't, but I kind of knew something was going to happen. So I was at least a little bit prepared for it. So that was, a, you know, one of those times where, man, I ignored what I was feeling and I shouldn't have ignored it. And that was a big lesson. Uh, um, Rebecca and Trish asked if, um, what was the worst part about the job? You know, we, we had a lot of uh, you know, death notifications, you know. You know, we weren't notifying people that their, their parents passed away or the elderly passed away. We got, you know automobile accidents and some other things that happened, you know, everybody experienced uh, some drug-related issues where you had a child overdose or things like that, and have to go to someone's home and talk to a parent about a child passing away or a young teenager being in an automobile accident is horrific, whether you're a police officer, police chief, in any kind of capacity, you know, you can feel those people's pain, and there's no easy way to tell them, no easy way to break that to them. So that is just probably one of the hardest things I have to deal with. I was especially with kids or teens yep. or anything. Like that. And it's a small community, so you know everybody. So it's not like you're knocking on a stranger's door and you're telling a stranger, you know, your kids, my kids went to all went to school at that time frame. So, you know, you see these people at PTA or sporting events, so you, you knew the kids, you knew the parents. It, it was it was very, very tough to have to do that. Um, and one of them also has two of us that, um, how did you start out? Like, did you start out military security? What happened? How did you get to become that? So I was working in construction back in the early 90s, yeah, early 90s and uh, the economy had gotten slow. And a friend of mine was already working for the township and had said to me, and I was involved in the fire service and ambulance service, so I knew this guy pretty well, said to me, hey, listen, we're hiring part-time cops. Go take a test, see if you qualify. Um, the police academy's part-time. If you take it, we can get you hired. So I did all that, took a test with the police academy, got a job there, big old $5 net for job, <laughs> you know, and I stayed. I was there 20 years. I, I enjoyed the job. I enjoyed the community. It was very fulfilling to me. I, I, I liked what I was doing. I have been involved in the emergency services stuff through the fire company and the ambulance since I've been 15 years old. So it was kind of like a natural progression. Plus, my father had been a police officer early on in my life, you know, uh, when he was in his 20s and 30s. So it seemed like a natural progression to be there. I can't imagine your dad is a cop. Yeah, he was, he was a cop, yep. <laughs> I say that with all the Cairo respect I can muster because I've heard stories. 
I guess the, the other thing here, too, is like through the years that you've worked through all of this, and I don't say this lightly, you have seemed to do well emotionally. Uh, you seem to find that balance with the police work in the past and your life now. I tried never to take the job or let it become my personality. There, there are some people that work in that job who uh, basically take that as a persona. Uh, and I never did. I tried to leave my two worlds separate. It, it helps me, uh, you know, cope with some of the stuff you saw. And obviously, as a human being, you were seeing a lot of things, and sometimes it's hard not to take it home. You know, you see a kid that gets killed in a car accident, you're going to go home and lecture your kid about driving. That's just human nature. But for the most part, I was really good at leaving things where they were. Went home, but I was John Cairo. I wasn't John Cairo, the police officer. I was John Cairo, the, the father, the family member. I, I, I tried not to bring that home to my family. And uh, and when things did bother me, I talked to people about it. Like like my father is an example who was there and you know you know been there, done that. So I was able to vent to certain things, but I tried never to bring it home. And it's also said to me, uh, a buddy of mine who was Prince George's County police officer. We go, I'm retired now for 10 years, but it doesn't leave. No, it doesn't leave. You can, you can never forget seeing horrific things. I mean, you might compartmentalize it. You might put it in the back of your mind, but there's triggers and things that bring it up. And you think about those things sometimes, and you can't help but see that. I don't think human beings were meant to see horrific events and people die and, you know, car accidents and all that blood guts that goes on it that you see. I don't but uh, you do the best you can to deal with it. When I was in, it was like taboo to have a, to talk to a psychologist or something like that. Where now I think they're a little bit more open to people dealing with that kind of stuff. Um, I did have a good group of people around me that were supportive of what I did. And when things were, you know, bad like that, I was able to speak to my father and speak to some of the other guys. So you had a good support system. Yeah, and, and you do develop a bizarre sense of humor, which, you know, people call it morbid or whatever you want to call it. But, I mean, you, that's how it's a coping mechanism, you know. Laugh or cry, that's kind of what people do. And, you know, cops and ambulance, people have the most, more, most bizarre sense of humor you'd ever see. I can see that somebody's sitting in the car. It looks like he's sleeping. Yeah. No, man, he real time. Yeah, he's real time. <laughs> real time. Real time. Uh, he's real that's time. That's how you leave a mark, you know. Yeah, that's how a friend of mine did, uh, when we did this, wanted to know from you, because, you know, she's talked to other people. Has there ever been an instance where you could almost feel the death around you, like the person was leaving the body, that kind of thing? You know, you, you're there and you're watching it. I think there's so much activity going on around you that, you know, you know what's happening. But I say that I felt him leave the body? Not, not necessarily. I mean... You're trying to be as empathetic to that person and supportive and provide care to them and do all those things. You are so preoccupied with what's happening that I don't think I ever clued into that. Um, if you hear me chilling, it's because we're eating the socials, goat cheese stuff. These are great. And our friend Dawn over there, she's eating the, what is that, the pistachio encrusted? Um, Chicken fingers. You guys have got to come and check this out. Every Wednesday, I'll be here. And when I get done today, I will be doing readings. And that's funny. I've done a lot of readings for you, obviously. Um, 
and Philly cops too. You would figure they'd be the worst about it. But every once in a while, and these aren't all females, these are males too. Um, when I was down in Philly, you know, one of them, I, I think I told you about this back in the car, you know, I get teased a lot. Well, you're not really, you got to tell me something. This bunch of guys in Philly are like, I'm off the cable street, right? And uh, the guys are sitting there. Says, tell me something I can believe, of course. I mean, really, man, I'm working with the ladies right now. No, no, tell me something. Tell me something. I go, All I get, man, is I see this black shirt, but it's something about the black shirt and it's hair. It's like the elbows are bare, and I keep seeing a bulldog, but it doesn't look like a bulldog. It's this guy goes white, his brother goes white. Where I was sitting was where the father died on the couch, and that's what he wore. He wore the same shirt when he was resting on the couch, had a big bulldog on his arm from the rain. So when I just kind of let it go, it will come in, and I find out that. A lot of spiritual activity around three types of people. I guess police, paramedics, doctors, nurses, because the souls tend to leave right in front of them. And I've seen this. You seem to do well with it. There are other cops, detectives. You can tell there's a little bit of a wear and tear because they don't leave the family like the cop like behind. Listen, I'm from from being 15 years old, I mean, they started us, you know, we were allowed to run the ambulance 15, 16 years old. And I got my EMT back in the early, late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, you're doing CPR on people, doing things you like that. So I've been around this. 15 and a half, they let you join. 16, they let us start riding the ambulance. I got my EMT when I was 16. So I've been doing that stuff my whole life. So lots of, lots of death, been around a lot of death. A lot of CPR, a lot of car accidents, a lot of things like that. It never really impacted me. I never took it home. I I, uh, I was able to separate it. Like, you know, you're there to do a job. You're there to help people. You do what you can do. Now, there are things that I've seen that I, like, I had a, uh, a shooting incident. I was on the ambulance. I wasn't involved in the shooting, but I was in the ambulance. I was 17. And uh, somebody broke into a store. This young man was uh, working part-time in a store. And we responded as the ambulance crew that uh, some young some guys came in and robbed him. And instead of him being a brand new guy, he didn't know how to open the safe. So they basically tortured him by shooting him. And then when he couldn't open the safe, they killed him. So we didn't realize when we got there, he had been shot that many times in the back. So they actually brought a surgeon down from then Sacred Heart Hospital who did open heart surgery with this guy in our ambulance to try to maintain the blood and save his life. And None of that bothered me until we got to the hospital, and I had been in this guy's chest holding pressure points for an hour. Got cleaned up, walked out into the into the reception area, and his young family was there. He had taken that job to pay for a Disney trip for his young kids. Oh, so man. the aftermath of what that was, watching the wife and the kids cry, um, still haunts me. I still see that scene. I can't get rid of that. It's been 30 years. I still can't get rid of it. Reminds me of some of my sessions and stuff. And, uh, uh, I just drifted away for a little bit. But, uh, I was thinking about the time where I used to work in the ER. was an x-ray way back at BB Hospital back in the 90s. And uh, yeah, that family thing. They're sitting out in that waiting room. 
Yeah, the, the, the injuries and the, the blood and the death, it didn't seem to impact me, but when I seen the what he left behind. I mean, there was a guy who was a young father. These kids were maybe three and five. A young father working to provide a trip, and somebody came in and took his life in a horrific manner. And like I said, what happened in the ambulance and in the scene really doesn't stick with me, but that the impact of the family that really, really, really worked on me for a long time. Like I had to, you know, I discussed it with my father a lot and we talked through it, but you know, you, you don't get rid of that kind of stuff, you know. Some of the um, the death notifications where the families have come out to the scene and they're seeing their kid, you know, being ejected from a car and he's laying on the street, and you have to try to keep mom away from the body because it's still a crime scene, that kind of stuff. That's more than what bothered me than the actual physical acts or the seeing the, the incident. I had a young lady send me a question as she wants to be, she's young, she's like 18. She's, I want to be a police officer or I want to work in the FBI. That is where law enforcement is where I want to go. She asked, what is the one piece of advice you can give me so I don't fuck up? Integrity um, and honesty. I mean, the biggest thing I see with people is they stray from the path of what they're there for. They do dumb things, you know, like, uh, we had a guy a long time ago. We had an escort. We had to escort people out because they were carrying money, and they got the guys accepted a tip. You know, somebody found out about it. They got fired for a lousy twenty dollars tip. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. And it wasn't balanced. They weren't on a take. But that's the perception that the public got. You know, it was special favor, and they were accepted money for it. They lost their jobs. I mean, doing the job, having integrity, being honest, even if it is detrimental to you telling the truth, you know, will set you free, so to speak. I think that's the biggest advice I can ever give anybody that's going to take on that job. And it is difficult to be there and do the right thing when you're getting pressure not to. Do the right thing always. Um, and I think it's a hard thing to do the right thing. I mean, there's so much temptation. There's this and that. I mean, it's not even that. It's so much as, you know, you're going to get pressure from, hey, Everybody's human being. You lose your temper at these guys. You might see another officer smack somebody or do something you're not supposed to do. What's the right thing to do? You're there to protect the innocent and protect the public. You know, you're not supposed to be, you know, condoning bad behavior. I think that's another thing that gets people in trouble. They get lumped into somebody else's bad behavior and they don't want to be the quote unquote rat to deal with it. But the bottom line is, if it comes down to my job, your job, and you're doing, you're being the bad guy, and I got to take care of my family and take care of my family. Right. I'm not going to get taken down for somebody else's garbage. Um, what are your plans for the future, man? I'm very content. I've been working my business for a few years, and uh, you know, I'm still 58 years old. I got a little bit more time to work. I still have a kid in college, so oh, hell no. you know, we got a little bit ways to go for a while. Um, I have to say, through my conversations with you in the past, like that. Um, find this fascinating. Some cops have the most amazing hearts. You, you, I, I know people go, what? I go, yes, most amazing hearts. Uh, Detective Deary, who I know, amazing, amazing heart. Uh, uh, Katrina Katz, she, I think she just retired. A really good group of people that would just give their left leg for you. 